0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Hi, Miyuki Okiranta here. Welcome to Earshot. Over the past couple of months, Australia has been ravaged by epic and terrifying bushfires, bigger and hotter than we've ever seen before. The towns, communities, bush and wildlife in the path of the firefront have been decimated. But there have been some amazing stories of survival, including a property in the Hunter Valley whose structures were untouched when everything around it burned. The property was saved through a technique called cultural burning. Different to controlled back burning, which can get out of hand, cultural burning is gentle, careful, and kind to its residents. And Australia is finally paying this approach some attention. Aboriginal people have been practicing this method for thousands of years, and now cultural burning is making a comeback, helping not only to take care of country, but to take care of communities. Producer David Rutledge heads out to Central Western New South Wales to experience firsthand a cultural burn.
2: Country is not just a bit of a land to Aboriginal people. You look after the country, country will look after you.
3: This country is a sick country and we need to make it better again because we believe that healthy country equals healthy people.
4: Aboriginal people must have been the best experimental ecologists on earth. You know, they were doing this long before the last glaciation and they tried all of these methods and they proved that they worked and they worked with them to get it all happening. So they did all of the experimental work first. In the last 200 years, people weren't allowed to practise their culture and practise the knowledge that they had. So. Summer's lost in southern Australia anyway, but there are people out there that are remembering what their grandparents did and they're talking about it and we're getting little snippets of information as we try and filter this through the community and talk to them.
5: This program comes to you from the middle of a bushfire. I'm standing in the middle of a bushfire. It was deliberately lit too. I'm putting my life on the line for the ABC, but it's it's a very low intensity situation. The flames are maybe knee high, and they're just sort of burning in patches. It's not like the whole bush is going up at once. There's a fair bit of smoke. There's some low sunlight coming in through the trees. It's, it's a really beautiful scene, actually. And it's about 10 degrees. It's, it's pretty cold, so I'm glad of the flames. This is what they call a cool burn. It's a traditional Aboriginal technique of land management, and it's being carried out today by the Gumbuwanana Narumbung group. These guys, for the past four years in and around Orange, have been learning and teaching all about this method of burning the bush. And uh, it's a new experience for me. It's a relatively new approach to burning for the local rural fire service who are also here today. But of course, for the continent of Australia, this is ancient stuff. Burning the land like this goes back, who knows, 60,000 years.
6: My name's Bruce Pascoe. I've got a Bunerong and Yuan heritage and Tasmanian in this country southern New South Wales and Gippsland, we can see that from the historical record that Aboriginal people were already burning long before the Europeans arrived. And we know that from vessels that sailed past in the early days before this area was settled and saw the great smokes coming up off the mountains. And Aboriginal people were telling Europeans how to burn well because they were astounded by the recklessness of Europeans when they burnt the bush. They were trying to influence uh, Europeans and giving them recipes for fire use in this country. And our language is full of reference to controlling fire, using it discreetly,
5: and the plants that it will best suit. But burning the land today, it's a very different undertaking to what it was 200 years ago. So what are you up against when you when you talk about practicing land management using fire in modern Australia? How, how have things changed?
6: Well, we have to be very careful these days because of the capital cost of making a mistake. There's a fence every 400 metres and um, it's very hard to get a good burn going uh, before you reach a fence and potentially damage it and then uh, have to face the costs of replacement. So how do you get around that? Well, I think we're in such an early stage of this discussion that we need to work slowly and carefully to make sure that we don't make mistakes. We need to look at the intensity of our fires, we need to look at the rotation, uh, how many years in a row a place is burnt, or how long before we go back to burn it. This is all new, and everyone has an idea, but we actually don't have a lot of science.
5: Well the science is catching up with the tradition. I'm here with Dr Milton Lewis, he's a conservation ecologist and a senior officer with the Central Tablelands local land services. Milton, what are the benefits of, of this kind of burning?
4: The biodiversity values of these fires are enormous. Because they're cool and move slowly through the leaf litter, any animal or, or insect whatever has time to escape. so. If you notice on the sides of a lot of the trees, you'll see insects climbing up them. As soon as the fires out of the way, they'll go back down and they'll, they'll be fine again. It's sensitive to the, the environment and we walk through it and do just small areas at a time, manageable areas in a mosaic system. And mosaic, in this case, are, they're small mosaics. We wouldn't want to burn the entire Home range of a particular bird, say. If a bird has a home range of 10 hectares, just off the top of my head, we wouldn't want to burn the whole 10 hectares in the day and leave that bird with nothing to live in. I guess the thing about it being cool is the, the soil temperature as well and the flame height. So these flame heights you can see here aren't a great height, they're not much more than 30 centimetres. And there's a moisture level on the ground underneath that keeps the soil cool, so we're not killing any of the invertebrates or anything that's in the soil at the same time. So we're preserving that biodiversity at all levels, and and that's really important. It's fire. It would still burn you if you put your hand in it. But compared to a flame height of a metre or five metres, it really is very cool. We've measured ground temperatures here where they've stayed at about 17 degrees.
5: You can walk on that in bare feet.
4: That's right. And in the north, people still walk through in bare feet as they light these fires. And the children are accompanying the the people as they do it. It's a very family-oriented process. We walk through as we're doing it as well. So we light spots all the way through the bush and those spots turn into rings of circle that join up and then extinguish each other so the fires never go really more than two or three meters distance before they go out and that way you just don't get this rolling wall of fire that you often see in the in the bushfires which get very hot and our fires don't go into the into the canopy at all.
3: My name is Neil Ingram Senior born and raised in a little town called Condoblin in the centre of New South Wales. I'm a mission boy. I've lived in Orange with my family for over 30 years. Our team actually went to Cape York and we spent eight days in Weepa, uh, year before last, and then last year we spent another eight day at Mary River. We goes up there to gain the knowledge and learn from these old people. We've actually sat down with old Uncle Tommy Jordan. He said, boys, look into that fire. No matter what it is, it'll solve your problems. I want you to take the spark from that fire, and take it down south and spread the good news. But you've got to police that make sure you do it right. So we thought that was wonderful. And then we started to get involved with traditional firebirds. And the only way to learn is to go practice and practice on different countries. It's something that we believe in and it's the only way that we know to manage country. Remember this, our people have managed this country for over 60,000 years. For some unknown reason they've done something right.
7: My name's Greg Ingram, I'm a part of the Gumbel, Wanana Nurumbung team. I've done a few different things. One of the things I've done um, after I left school was I completed a um, Bachelor of Health Science and Mental Health and I worked at Bloomfield Hospital in acute inpatient units for a few years and I um, then relocated to Redfern and worked in the Redfern Aboriginal Medical Service as the male mental health worker for about three and a half years. These traditional burns are new concept down south here. You know, you've got your uh, rural Fire Brigades and what they do is they burn for, I guess, um, preservation of houses and life. With the rural fires, they have hot fires and what that does is kill the seed bank. So it leaves bare patches, you know, and then there's no growth there for 20 years later. We want to create the right habitat for our animals. We want to um, burn the right (coughs) species of grass, so then that comes back and then our native animals have food. We burn to look after sacred sites. Um, We burn for a number of reasons and I guess it's a holistic burn rather than a specific burn. Our burn is for everybody and not just for certain people of the community.
3: I'm not quite sure, but I think it might be 60-70% of this country is owned privately. And we've still got a few reserves and traveller stock routes that we can work on. At the moment, we've done some work on uh, some crown land just out of Orange. The funny thing about this, the neighbours we were privately owned, The property all around the area thought that was quite good, so we're now working on private property. And that's one way of addressing some of the policies that the rural fires and government have got in place. So landowners are now saying, no, this is my land, you come and do it here.
5: Okay, so we're a couple of hours into the burn and basically what you can see is a dozen or so blokes wandering about with fire sticks and drip torches setting very small fires in the undergrowth and letting them burn along the ground. It's all very slow and patient. A big part of this process seems to be just carefully monitoring what happens. I'm here with Steve Carney. Steve's one of the local landowners who's been getting interested in Aboriginal cultural burning and it's his land that the Gumbunana Nurembung team is working on today. Steve, what are we looking at here?
0: This is a 100-acre lot that the wife and I own. We were approached by the Royal Fire Service about doing a controlled burn to reduce the event of a fire, the severity of the fire. We've picked several areas and we've already done one burn beforehand, and now we're doing a burn out at the back of the house um, to protect the neighbour's house and as well as preventing a fire from coming from that direction onto our place.
5: And it's not just any burn, this is a traditional cultural burn. What got you interested in that?
0: Jeff asked us if we would be interested in allowing the local Aboriginal tribe to. Um, to come and do this burn. We said yes because we thought it'd be a good learning experience ourselves. We're um, very interested in the history of the area and we're hoping that they might be able to show us how to look for scar trees and anything else like that that might be of significance to them or or that so that we could protect them and not let anything happen to them. So we could learn something and we get a fire done on our place to protect it as well as being able to learn a bit of information ourselves are there
5: many local landowners who are interested in this kind of traditional aboriginal burning or is it are you a bit of a bit of a one-off in that respect
0: i think more would probably be interested in it if they knew more about it type thing it's one of those things that people only when they think of burning they think of the Royal fire service coming in and burning the area rather than the indigenous people, how they come and they do a a lower, softer burn type thing. So yeah, I think if more knew about it, more would be willing to do it.
8: I'm very interested in joining together traditional burning patterns and Western burning patterns.
5: Jeff Selwood is fire mitigation officer with the local branch of the New South Wales Rural Fire Service.
8: If you'd burnt this three weeks ago, it would have been, for better words, nuked. Everything would have burnt. The canopy would have been probably uh, scorched because it was too dry. It's like baking a cake. You've got to have the mixture of everything. So you've got to have your wind, your uh, fuel moisture levels, the moisture level in the soil, even the day. Like, I mean, if we have this afternoon cloud cover come in, That'll be the end of the burn. Now, it doesn't have to rain, it doesn't have to do anything silly, just the cloud cover will be enough to slow this burn down to nothing.
5: Is everybody on board, or is there some, or has there been some resistance to taking on this, well, I say new method, and it's 40,000 years old, but new method for the rural fire services?
8: I found it hard when I came back from Cape York. I tried to talk to the local lands councils and so forth, and they didn't really didn't have anyone on board that really wanted to take it on. So it's basically and went into limbo for a couple of years. And then Neil Ingram, who I've known for years, I used to work with him in other government departments and so forth, we got together, worked out it was a great way of you know doing stuff, for them to bring back the traditional knowledge in relation to burning. Because a lot of the knowledge of traditional burning has disappeared. So the idea was to bring that back. There could be some areas that may not be... Taking it on as free and easy as we do here, because I push it a little bit. You got to remember, forty thousand years ago, you could uh, have lit the area and walked away. Who, who'd want to be living around Orange at this time of the year? Uh, it's cold enough. It's, it's eleven degrees at the moment. But drop much, let it go. You wouldn't have had a house worth half a million dollars sitting down there, or another one over the back here. It would have been just years later. We're heading to Dubbo, so. It's a whole different idea of how traditional burning has got to fit in with the current situation in Australia. Fences,
5: sheds, people's houses. That's
8: right. You go to the Cape, they can drop a match and let it go for a while because assets and people are much further apart. Whereas here, they're not.
5: Burning country in the way that these guys are doing it is good for country but it also has a whole lot of social benefits that might not seem
7: immediately apparent. Here's Greg Ingram. Uh, The traditional burning really helps with um, the Aboriginal community as a whole. It encompasses everybody within the Aboriginal community. There's room for um, the elders to, I guess, run the burn. Then you have your younger men and women learning the finer aspects of burning and then you have your younger generation the children and whatnot and they usually come in and prepare the burn you know like um, take all the thick bark off and things like that so it doesn't run up in the canopy of the trees so it's a um when a traditional burn happens there's a job for everyone in the community for me going up to cape york and learning traditional lo- knowledge and going through law and being able to i guess practice my own culture has created a great identity within myself. I have great pride. Um, Working in mental health, we have a lot of Aboriginal people that, I guess, um, aren't travelling so well social and emotional. And I think that's the lack of identity, why that's happening. So Aboriginal people get to, I guess, find themselves again. They get to be part of the community. Uh, The community's giving them a job to do and they're becoming who they are. They're doing what they're meant to do as Aboriginal people.
9: Yeah, my name's Adam Randell. I'm a Roy man visiting this country, Yuradjuri, and here today learning fire farming, uh, speaking with the local elders here and participating in the day more as an observer.
5: You're up from Albury?
9: Yeah, definitely up from Albury. I've always had a fascination with fire, sitting around and watching it, but knowing that I wanted to reconnect and have participation... Like we have fire farm for thousands of years, and we've lost that ability.
5: When you talk about reconnecting with country, does that mean that you'd previously felt a sense of disconnection from country?
9: Yes, definitely disconnection from country. you know my mother's a stolen generation and took many years to reconnect with family because we were dispersed all over the place and to different states of Western Australia even so. Having that connection with country, it's, it's a well-being. That connection is the spiritual, our healing.
5: Tell me more about that. When, when you talk about healing and, and your spirit feeling good, what does, that, what does that feel like?
9: For me, it's an energy-giving. It's life-giving. You're happy within yourself. You can forget about those bad things that have been happening to you or to family and sorry business and doing something good. We have this affiliation this connection with country and to have that taken away from us it hurts the soul and hurts the spirit and then it's passed on to our younger generation our kids so it's been 70 years since they've had a, a fire through here and to come here and start this process again is is a fantastic experience you know it's one i'll take away and cherish that i was here the day that this has been fire farmed for the first time in 70 years
5: Well, one of the elders overseeing the burn today is Pat French. Pat, what's today all about for you?
2: I wanted to get more involved with my culture there and my grandchildren. I wanted to pass it on. I grew up in a mission in Morey in the 50s. We was living under uh, white policies, government policies there, protection boards and Aboriginal protectors. I don't know what they were protecting us from, but we had restrictions on us and... I could have gained wealth of knowledge there from my grandparents. But like all young people back then, uh, I was out for good times. and I knew more about Robin Hood and Ned Kelly and all those blokes than to my own culture. But we was denied all those things when I was growing up. And it's great to see us, our culture, what's left of it there be reintroduced there, and I never thought I'd see the day there was, we'd sit down and they'd invite us to the table there and we'd have a voice in anything that happens on country there and it's great to see people taking culture, how rich our culture is and how beneficial it is to all, not only Aboriginals, but the whole of Australia this generation of young people in Australia's growing up I think really wants to know and are really interested in our rich culture and that there. It's good to see young people of the day there really acknowledge there the benefit that the Aboriginal people and realise that we were not only wanderers hunters and gatherers like we was tagged but we was really farmed and looked after the country and give us how. oh I'm just getting a bit emotional there, lost of the words but it's good to see people taking our culture seriously and it will benefit them, it's a starting point.
5: day two of the two day burn and we're well into the afternoon now and things are pretty much winding up what's really interesting is that the landscape has definitely changed yesterday morning there was a lot of low tussocky sort of scrub and dry bark and sticks lying around that's all mostly gone the ground is black it's a lot bearer than it was there's still a lot of smoke and with the low afternoon sun streaming through the trees it all looks very dramatic but then at the same time it, it doesn't look sort of post-apocalyptic bushfire you can see that the trunks of these eucalypts are more or less undamaged and up in the canopy where all the leaves are it's like nothing's happened at all which is exactly how it's supposed to be milton lewis you're very happy especially because things don't always go according to plan with these operations right
4: yeah, we really hit the pocket of opportunity, uh, which is, is super fantastic. All of the planets have aligned for today and yesterday's work. Beforehand, you used to just walk out, assess the day, and if the day was right, you could light up. But because of all the restrictions now, we have to be so careful. and And it takes months and months to plan. And you can't tell the rain to fall on a certain day or the wind not to blow on a certain day. We have to have the burn plans made. We have to have our fire breaks put in around the sites. We also need to just make sure that everyone is here on the same day and that's really hard to work out. And we have to have a certain number of people to do this sort of job. We have to have the trucks here. There's just so much to organise it takes and that has to happen months before you actually want to put the burn in.
5: Of course, the funding for this particular project is uh, finite. I understand it's about to be pulled. Is that going to... I mean, I can understand that affects this project, this area, but it's going on in other places, right? You've got blokes from um, Albury have come up today. It's still going to continue in spite of funding hiccups.
4: We would hope so. Look, it's it's for everybody. Funding is always a problem. There's a problem at the moment because our fire team from orange has run out of money now and it looks like this may be one of their last burns which is really sad for me because we've worked with this group for so long and they've become really knowledgeable and they are now the custodians of this fire knowledge and have the ability to take it further and just as they've gotten it it seems to have been cut short and we're not I'm not sure how they're going to continue, we're busy talking about it and thinking about how we could possibly work, but as always it's come down to the economics again and you just sort of have to wonder sometimes whether cultural values should be put aside from economic values. We can see how good it is for these guys, they're really working hard to do something positive for this place. And they're working as a really solid team. All of their problems from home and that disappear when they get out here to take care of country. And they treat it as their country. We know it's somebody else's, but this ability to access country that was Aboriginal peoples in the beginning, and then that was taken away from them, is still very important inside. And they don't want to own it. That has nothing to do with it. They just want to manage and care for it the way they see it should be. Aboriginal
6: people have been desperately waiting for Europeans to show that respect to the culture so that they can learn from it. And I see non-Aboriginal people bursting with love for the country and looking for a way to express it. And this is the way to understand what Aboriginal people have known for a very, very long time. It gives them a new insight into the landscape they've always loved, but now they understand why they love it. And I I would love all Australians to learn those cultural uh, stories so that they can truly respect the land.
1: was produced by David Rutledge with sound engineer Russell Stapleton. This program went out originally in 2016, and the local Aboriginal Land Council in Orange are still pushing for funding to keep their cultural burning practices alive. I think once we're finally through this fire season, we'll surely be looking for new and old ways to take care of this land. Stay safe out there in the meantime. I'm Yuki Ranta. This is Earshot, and drop in again next time for the last in our RN Summer series of stories that take you places.
5: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC
8: podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.